0: y'all, my name's uh, name's John, and I'm the campus minister for RUF here at Texas. Uh, Listen, RUF, um, we're a ministry that believes Christianity isn't about getting right with God. Um, Christianity is actually about what God has done to make us right through the person of Jesus. And so every night when we come together and meet together, we consider uh, what the Bible says about who Jesus was and is, and if that's true or not, and One of the things I love about RUF is we have students who kind of are from all over the map spiritually who are maybe atheists or agnostic or trying to figure out what they believe, um, all the way to, you know, people who who do believe and are growing in their faith. And no matter where you are in, in that spectrum, I bet one of the biggest questions that you have is why does God let bad things happen in this world? Um, whether something bad has happened to a friend of yours, to a family member of yours, or to you, it can be really hard to understand how could God possibly be at work in the midst of this? And how can I believe that there is a God if this is happening to me right now? Have y'all been there? I think some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, What we're talking about the first five weeks, we're looking at the book of John, and we're considering... The idea that God is at work even when it feels like He's not. And I gotta be honest, I have felt that a lot the last couple weeks. Uh, I lived in Houston for six years, worked at a church there. And um, Christy and I have just been, we've just been so upset about what's been happening there uh, with the flood. And uh, I know that some of y'all have been affected by that and I have friends and family members that have been affected by that. And like, when that's happening, it's just, it's so hard to see sometimes how God is at work. And, you know, th- it's funny, I feel like kind of from both ends of the political spectrum even, you'll get, or even theological pre- spectrum, you get people kind of giving their answers. Like I remember when the, the, um, the hurricane happened in Haiti, there was this super fundamental, fundamentalist like preacher named Pat Robertson. He said, like, oh, that's just God's judgment on Haiti. That's why that That's why that happened. They're being judged. So it's like, okay, you take that in one hand, someone's saying that. And then something, this was in the Wall Street Journal um, this week. It was in the op-ed, uh, an op-ed piece that someone wrote, saying, like, what's with all the people who are, like, judging Houston right now and saying, like, well, they, they are getting what they deserve. Like, they don't have zoning restrictions. This is a place that has... Um, you know, they use up all of this fuel and they're kind of like a, you know, it's a, a big center for like the fossil fuel industry and now global warming, like this is what happens. This is what they get. They deserve it. So you kind of have people from like both ends of the spectrum who might look at something like what happened in Houston and say like, I know why that happened. And is my tape coming off? Thanks, Urban. Um <laughs> Here's the thing. We're prone to viewing we're prone to viewing things through the lens of karma. Like, people get what they deserve, or like, whatever happens, like, that's, that's, what, that's what that person deserves. But that's not how God views suffering. Listen to what Jesus says in John 9. The disciples, they see this blind guy sitting by the road, and the disciples, like, point, point him out, and they ask Jesus, why is he blind? Is it because he sinned, or is it because his parents sinned? Is there, like, some... Who did something wrong to make this happen to him? Listen to what Jesus says. It was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's why he's blind, that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, God is at work even in the midst of that man's suffering. And what I would suggest to you tonight is this, that even if it doesn't feel like it, I'm telling you, even if it doesn't feel like it, God is at work in the midst of our suffering. We, there's really one of two options. Like, either he's not at work. Like, option A is God is not at work, which means that either he's not real, or he's weak, or he's not loving and he doesn't really care what's happening. And if, that, if any of those options are true and God is not at work, then... We don't have a lot of hope in this life, but, but if God is at work in your suffering, which I think this passage that we looked at, that we'll look at today shows, if he's at work, it means that he cares and that there's hope, all right? So that's what the two points we're going to look at tonight, our suffering and then our hope. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into this passage. Y'all bow your heads with me. Father, thanks so much that You have given us Your Word. And not only that, that You have given us Your Word made flesh. Jesus Christ, Your Son, who came and lived among us and who revealed to us what You are like. And so, Father, we pray that as we look at who Jesus is, that we would see who You are, um, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would help us with that right now. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first off, I want to look at our suffering. Second, we'll look at our hope. Now, I know this may feel a little bit heavy, but we're going somewhere with this, okay? So, first, our suffering. Look at at your handout. Look at verse 5 and 6. It's like almost comical, the way that John writes it. It's shocking, really. Verse 5, John 11, verse 5, he says, Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, end of verse 5. And what you would expect is that verse 6 would say, so he rushed to go take care of Lazarus. He went immediately to go help Lazarus who was sick because Lazarus was his friend. But that's not what verse 6 says. What verse 6 says is this. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I have to imagine that for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they had to be wondering, "Where is he? Like, Jesus, what are you doing? We've seen you heal so many people, and now it says that they're his friends. Like, isn't that funny that Jesus had just like people who are his buddies? Like these people were his buddies, and they they know the power that he has and what he can do, and they send for help, and he doesn't show up." And maybe you have felt that way before. Like, God, why is this happening to my family right now? Why is this happening to me right now? Why is this happening to my friend right now? Where are you? Do you care? That's what they were feeling. You're not the only person who's felt that way. Jesus' friends felt that way. Because this kind of, look, this is not the idea that's painted sometimes in Christianity about what it's like to... To have a relationship with God. We, we live in the hashtag blessed age. Like we have a hashtag for it. Like the you know, I'm following Jesus, and man, I'm just hashtag blessed. I looked at can I give you some hashtag blessed from the Twitter sphere recently? Just happened to search it up. This is what I got. Here's one tweet. When your friend come from church comes over and replaces your old broken toilet, hashtag blessed. Sweet. This, I like this one a lot. You can say whatever you want about me, but you cannot say I wasn't hashtag blessed with a great set of eyebrows. <laughs> that was Chrissy Trapp's Twitter. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. Um, this is another good one. And it's official. Criminal charges are in the process of being dropped. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> like, that's how we think about, that, that's what blessing is in our world. Having Looking good or having good things happen to you, getting a new toilet maybe, but getting good things, good things happening in your life. Listen to how Jesus describes a blessing in his most famous sermon that he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. This is what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account? I gotta be honest, I didn't find any hashtag blessed about that kind of stuff on the Twitter sphere. Because that's not how we think about blessing, but it's how Jesus does. But why? Like, okay. Why does God allow that? Why does Jesus do that? Why doesn't he show up? Well, okay, look. There's kind of a general answer. to I'm going to give you a couple answers to this, and none of them may satisfy you. And we can talk about it afterwards. Come find me, okay? But I'll, because, y'all, this is something every worldview, not just Christianity, every worldview, has a hard time explaining why suffering exists. From materialism all the way to Christianity and every religion in between. And, but I actually think and I'll explain this later, but I think Christianity has the best answer for suffering. It's the best one, and it's one I want you to consider. Jesus gives the general answer for why suffering, is, why this suffering is going to happen in verse 4. Look at verse 4 again. He says, this illness does not lead to death, it's for the glory of God. Your suffering isn't pointless But somehow, in some way, it's for God's glory, and that might not be very comforting, and I get that. Um, (laughs) A couple weeks ago, we took, we have, my wife, Christy, and I have four kids. Our youngest is named Betsy. She may be the cutest human in in existence right now. Some of you have babysat her. She's awesome. She's so fun. And she's really just, like, the most chill kid we've ever had. Like, thank thank the Lord. Our fourth kid is chill. Um, We took Betsy to her nine-month checkup and we sit her down. She's also like really just trusting, okay? And so she's sitting in in my lap and the doctor comes in with like the long needles ready to immunize her. Sorry, we immunize our kids. If you have like a problem with that, like my bad, but we do. Um, So they come in with the needles and she has no idea. Like she's just sitting with me. She trusts me completely. And (laughs) the doctor like comes in and just like, puts the needle like down into her leg, puts the, med- the medicines like going in, and her, it took her like five or six seconds to realize what had happened, like she just kind of like looked at me, and then this like look of complete betrayal like just washed over her face, and she just, you know, her lips started shaking, and then like ten seconds into it, she just burst into tears, like how could you have ever let this happen to me, I trusted you, like and I I'm feeling terrible, and so I mean it was it was sad. Like we got kind of all crying about it a little bit, and but here's the thing: she's nine months old. I can't reason with her and be like, "Look, we're about to do something for you that's going to be really good for you, and it's going to help you be healthy and not get these weird diseases that like your homeschool friends are going to get because they don't immunize." No, I'm just kidding. But like, <laughs> we're going to, it's going to help you and. She, <laughs> you can't reason with a nine-month-old. But I'm doing it because I love her. I love her. I would die for her. But I can't explain to her why this awful thing is happening. The most pain she's ever had in her life. And so when I stand up here and tell you, look, your suffering is for God's glory, it might, you might feel like Betsy getting a shot listening to that. And I get that. I want you to think about this, though. What does our suffering accomplish? Like, what does it actually do? And I want you to look at the sisters, Martha and Mary. Did you see what they did? They both come up to him, and they say, like, the same thing that all of us say when something hard happens to us. Lord, if you had been here, They say the exact same thing. Did you you catch it? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you? Have you felt like that? Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened to my family. Lord, if you had been here, my dad wouldn't have gotten sick. Lord, if you had been here, that wouldn't have happened to me. Where were you? And do you see what Jesus does? He does, he does not say, How dare you speak to me that way? I am the Lord Jesus Christ. He can do that. He gives them both what they need. And it's different for each of them. With Martha, he has a conversation. With Mary, it's something very different. But what suffering does, something that suffering accomplishes, is it actually draws us to God because we begin to sense our need for him. Or maybe if you don't feel drawn to God at least it makes you sense how fragile and hopeless this world kind of is apart from an eternal hope. Look I, I have felt this in my own life with suffering. Christy and I, and I we have four kids and it's really fun it was really hard to, for us to, to get to four kids. Trying to grow a family was hard for us. And I like to control things. I'm a very self-reliant human being. And that is not something that you have a lot of control over. And it broke me. And what God does, though, is through things like that, he really refines us. Um, C.S. Lewis says this, Love may forgive all infirmities and love still in spite of them, but love cannot cease to will their removal. It's like God loves us. He, he'll love us even, even no matter how broken and jacked up and sinful we are. We talked about that last week. Nope. God loves and He goes to work in sinners' lives, but He also loves us so much that He wants to remove the things that hurt us. And a lot of times, the way that that happens is God takes the broken, awful things in this world that happen to us. He doesn't do them to you. They happen to us. He allows them to happen to us. But He uses those things. He bends those things according to His will to refine us because He loves you. You can trust Him because He loves you, I think. We'll talk more about that in a second. But God does this. He orders the broken parts of this world and so <laughs> I think that means we don't have to be as afraid as we think we are. I was playing earlier this afternoon before I came to a large group. I was playing baseball in the backyard with Owen, my six-year-old. And he's afraid of the ball currently. We're at that stage of the baseball tossing, you know. And so his catching is like this, usually. And I was like, hey, man, it's okay. Like, it's okay to get hit with the ball. He's like, I don't want to get hit with the ball. I'm like, hit me with the ball. I give him the ball, I'm just like, Hit me with the ball, and he throws it. And he's like, look, you're big. It doesn't hurt you. And I was like, well, let me throw it, and like, hit." And, and he was like, but will it hurt me? I was like, no, no, no. Well, it might hurt a little bit, but you're okay. And you'll be okay. He was like, I'll be okay because God is with me. I was like, well, yeah, I guess he is. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> but what we see in this passage is that God is actually with these sisters in their suffering. He's with them, but w- so now you may be thinking, okay, but like, why did he have to do it that way? If he's so all powerful and all loving, why is he? Why is he even make this the way that the world is? Hmm. Want to answer that question, preacher man? Okay, um, that's like a mystery that's confounded people for a, like theologians for a long time. Let me give you my best shot at it. Um. Some of you have heard me describe this before, but like imagine imagine if you took an ant, you took the you take you go to the Louvre and you take the Mona Lisa off the wall and you set it on the on a table and you take a little ant and you put the ant on the Mona Lisa. And now let's just for kicks, say that the ant can talk, okay? And you say, "Ant, what is the Mona Lisa like?" What would the ant say? That's really bad. It's my aunt voice. Y'all want me to keep doing it? Is it making you uncomfortable? I don't want... Uh, it, he'd be like, it's really big. It's brown and like old, crusty smelling. That's the Mona Lisa. Now imagine if you got the curator from the Louvre and you, they, they took that painting down and they set it in front of you and, they were, and you're like, what's the Mona Lisa like? They would tell you all the themes. They would say, look, this is, this is a painting of mystery. Because we don't know who this woman is in Da Vinci's life, and she has this mysterious smile on her face. Like, she knows a secret that we don't. And even look at the ethereal background. It's this place that it's almost, it doesn't have a location. It's this mysterious kind of ethereal vibe. Like, we don't know what it is, and it's, it's a painting of mystery, and it's made by Da Vinci, and this is a masterpiece. Like, they would tell you all this stuff about it. But imagine if you sat down with Da Vinci, the maker of the painting. And he said, what's the Mona Lisa like? And he could tell you everything. See, we're like the ant, and God, God is the painter. Like, we can't understand, our life is like right here in front of our face, and when really hard things are happening, we feel like someone who is looking straight at our suffering, and we can't make sense of it. Because it hurts. But God, God is an infinite being, the Bible claims, who sees all of time and space stretched out before him. And he understands. But here's, so now, now we're, get, we're like starting to dip our toe into this idea of, that God is mysterious. And that's hard for us because we don't like mystery. But mystery, mystery doesn't mean that it doesn't have meaning. Eugene Peterson says this, Mystery isn't the absence of meaning. It is the presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. Mystery isn't the absence of meaning. It's the presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. So, what what does that mean? It means that when we come up to something like this, like, God, why did you make it this way? There are parts of Scripture that just don't answer that question. In fact, all of Scripture doesn't give a full answer to that it just doesn't it's it's why one of the early church fathers said this where God has shut his holy mouth I will not open mine where God has shut his holy mouth I will not open mine and now if you're like I was when you're hearing this you're like kind of mad because you're like how dare God do that why would he keep this mysterious? Why would he have this awful hard thing happening in my life or my family's life or my friend's life and not explain himself? How, how can you sit here, John, and tell me that you, can, that you should trust him? How is he trustworthy? I think the w- reason that we can trust him is because although God is mysterious, he doesn't stay far removed. He's not like back here like, hmm, like, I have my reasons, but, like, you'll just have to trust me, and I'll never explain myself. I'm kind of far removed from your life, and just trust me. Like, I know that it all sucks, but, like, just trust me. It's going to be fine. Mm-mm. See, what, what the Bible teaches is that God actually became a man, and he entered into your suffering. And you know what? There's no other religion like that that has a God who suffers. None. What the Bible claims is that Jesus, look, I want you to see how he deals with these women, with Martha and Mary. He, Martha comes up to him, she says, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And you know what? He listens to her. He doesn't take out what some of us like to do at a funeral and we're like really uncomfortable and we don't know what to say. Like your, rub, your Romans 8, 28 rubber stamp that you just like stamp on the foreheads of people who are grieving and you just say, hey, you know what? God's going to work all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose boom now stop being sad please don't do that if your friend is grieving and you're a Christian that's not what they need to hear now is that true is God working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose I believe that's true but Jesus doesn't wield that as a stamp to just be like stop crying it's fine he doesn't do that in fact in fact, I want you to see that Jesus deeply cares about their suffering. He cares because he loves them. Like, I don't I wasn't maniacally laughing when Betsy was getting her shot. Can you imagine like a dad just being like, <laughs> like as their baby's getting a shot? That would be weird. But a dad wouldn't do that, or well, hopefully like a good dad wouldn't do that, because he loves his child. You know what Jesus does with them? Look at verse 33. Jesus walks up to that tomb where his friend is dead. It says he's deeply moved in his spirit. Verse 33. You see that? He's deeply moved in his spirit. Y'all, this is so beautiful. Tim Keller um, made this observation. I'm going to rip it off from him. This is incredible. That Greek phrase that describes Jesus being deeply moved in his spirit, it's the same Greek phrase that's used in other Greek literature to describe The angry snorts of a warhorse before it charges into battle. That's what deeply moved in his spirit meant. That's kind of like a vanilla way to say it to say that Jesus is at the grave of his friend and he sees all of this brokenness and this junk and this suffering and he's mad at it because he hates it. That's not how the world was supposed to be. Jesus hates your suffering and he hates his friend's suffering. And now I need to hear that. Because there's just been too much suffering around here, around this campus. Students dying. Students' parents dying. My neighbor's dad dying. Do you know how much comfort it is to know that Jesus hates that? That he hates the brokenness that you have lived through? That's not the way the world is supposed to be, and he's going to do something about it. Because look, he not only hates it, but he comes up to the tomb, and when he sees Mary and all those people who are with her and how this has affected them, look, he knows what he's about to do. He's about to do the greatest miracle anyone's ever done before, anyone's ever seen. He's about to raise Lazarus from the freaking dead. Now, luckily I'm not Jesus, but if I was Jesus... And I was walking up on that scene, like rolling up, I'd be like, y'all, pff, what are y'all, why are y'all crying right now? This is gonna be awesome. Like, come here. Everyone needs to stop crying right now because I'm about to do something amazing. Like, that would be me. Because Jesus knows, he knows what he's about to do. He knows he's about to bring healing. But he stops and He weeps with them. And I need you to know this. If you're sitting here wondering, how can I trust Him? How can I trust this God? If He's got these mysteries, these things that I don't understand, how can I even trust Him? You can trust Him because He weeps over your suffering. And He hates your suffering. But if that's all He did, He would kind of just be this like sad, pitiful God who's like a crybaby and can't do anything about it. But not only is He angry about it, Not only is he sad about it and weeping about it, he does something about it. He does something about it. He calls into that grave and he says, Lazarus, come out. And a man who was dead for four days walks out of the grave. And here's what you need to know. Jesus does that at a cost. Listen to this. Listen to verse, we didn't read this part. The passage was long enough. I wanted to be nice to Dan. But um, verse 45, listen to what happens. This is after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Listen to what happens, verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. So, like, all these people, like, see it happen, like, oh, shoot, this guy's for real. Like, we need to follow him. Verse 47. Verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? Verse 53, so from that day on they made plans to put him to death. You see, the cost of Lazarus' resurrection was Jesus' life. In order for Lazarus to be brought back to life, Jesus, that, it's the tipping point. It's the tipping point that puts Jesus on the road to the cross. And this is what I need you to know. If you're sitting here wondering, is Jesus worth following? Is he worth believing? This is the Christian hope. That we have a God who not only hates your suffering, who not only weeps with you over your suffering, but he enters into the story of this world and he does something about it. He dies to take it away. And to bring, that's why he says, I am the resurrection of the life. Do you know what the resurrection is? It means that one day Jesus is going to take everything that's wrong about this world and he's going to make it right and new. At the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, when the picture of what eternity is going to look like, it's an eternity here on earth where Jesus says, behold, I'm making all things new. He doesn't say I'm making all new things. He doesn't say it's going to be weird for eternity and it's not going to feel very familiar and you're going to be, very, it's going to, you're going to be like plucking a harp, wearing a diaper, like in a cloud somewhere for eternity and like, I guess it's better than hell, so just get used to it. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say I'm making all new things. He says I'm making all things new. So for eternity, do you know what you will feel and experience? Something that is more like home than you've ever felt before. Here because Jesus loves the world that he made so much so that he did something about it to bring it back to life, to resurrect it. So that's the Christian hope, y'all. That's how we deal with suffering is to know that Jesus cares and he weeps with you in the midst of it. If you're in it right now, Jesus weeps with you. But he He also does something about it to make it right. So we can have hope that's like this. I, some of you have heard me write, read this poem before, but it's just—it's just the best. My friend wrote this after his dad died, and I want to read it to you. My friend Kevin is like—he's like one of—I'm I'm closing with this. I'm sorry, I'm, he's, Kevin's just like one of the most interesting human beings I've ever met. He wears like plaid shorts all the time, but he like teaches rap in like inner city Houston, and he's. He, like, his students, like, were, got to be, um, like, try out for America's Got Talent, because, like, they're, like, legit rappers, and Kevin's a really good rapper. Kevin loves his family more than, like, anyone I know, and one day when we were living in Houston, like, out of nowhere, his dad just dropped down dead, just out of nowhere, and so Kevin wrote this, and he told me I could share it with you. He says this, I'm not a rapper, sorry, but I'll do my best. I'm not going to wrap it, but I'll try to read it like Kevin would. My flow is a haunted house, no doubt. All my ghosts want it out. I run my mouth. The parade goes. Dia de los Muertos. All saints, all so- souls. The funeral march is my town. In this all-hallows eve, I sorrow breathe. An autumn breeze of fallen leaves. That's all my grief observed. Tears blur the words. I write them down. The grim reaper, sickled cirrhosis, my father's liver. In cataclysm, our captain passed. Cannon blasts to the stomach. Wide open, emotions shot by ghost ships. Dread pirates of denial and anger. Blackbeard bargains. Davy Lo- Jones' locker depression. But their admiral acceptance. Y'all listen to this. For those who loved not their lives, and to death, to death are no slaves. They shall dance on their graves on the day the dead are raised. Still my heart breaks. Jesus weeps with me. The, the only sound. Pain profound, but to grow, we've got to go in the ground. The good news of the gospel is that for sinners who don't deserve it, for sinners like me who don't deserve it, who suffer, Jesus did something about it. So that one day, if you believe in him, if you put your faith in him, you will dance on your grave when he brings resurrection on the day the dead are raised. And he holds that out to you freely. You don't have to work to get it. Just so to believe in Him. Because He loves you. Let me pray. Father, thanks for these students. And we thank You for the good news of the Gospel. That um, when through fiery trials our paths, shall I, Your grace, it is all sufficient. And it will be our supply. May that be true for us. I pray for these students as they go out pray for anyone who, maybe this is hard to listen to, who's suffered a lot. Um, I pray that you would put people in their lives, friends in their life, or even if I could talk to them about it, uh, whoever, um, to help them process that. Because Lord, you do um, weep with us and you put people in our lives to weep with us too. And we thank you for that grace. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.